Blog Talk Radio. It is Final Four Weekend. My name is Tom Marquist, El Presidente. On loan from God for the next two hours, I will guide you through this crazy world of sports. And we are in Final Four Weekend. We're going to kind of skip the monologue uh, so that we can get right into because we had a lot to talk about. So uh, we'll catch up on the break at the bottom of the hour. Welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great United States of America. America. It is Final Four March Madness. Joining us is our uh, official IndyCar contributor and uh, college basketball, college football guru up in Notre Dame country, uh, Matthew Embry from WSBT up in in Notre Dame country. And also joining us uh, is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Joining us a little bit earlier today from 104.9, the Eagle and the BS Sports Show. Welcome aboard, guys. Mo, how is you I am breathing, so I'm, I'm good. <laughs> That's always a good sign. When you wake up on this side of the ground, it's always a good sign. Matthew Embry, how is you, sir? Well, it's crazy how things work, you know, with uh, all the stuff going on with, you know, the Final Four this weekend and then a few other things coming into play. Uh, it should be very interesting to think, see how things play out uh, over the next few days, uh, very interesting stories going on in the men's Final Four and also a very interesting battle looking ahead to tomorrow night and uh, the battle between Notre Dame and Baylor for the women's title. Yeah, we're going to get into that here in just a minute because that, that's some pretty big news. Mo, well, let's go to you uh, real, for, uh, real, for, real quickly first. So now you're only with us for a, a few minutes because you've got to get on the air on your own station there. Uh, but uh, I tell you what, Final Four weekend, guys, can I can, – can, can I can – I, uh, pat my own back on both shoulders because I called Auburn. I called Michigan State. I called Michigan. Oh, yeah. I called the entire Final Four, and everybody else decided to go along with it. But I decided to go against the grain on that. Let's talk a little bit about the Final Four. We've got Auburn, Michigan State, uh, Texas Tech, and Virginia. Two young coaches, two veteran coaches. Mo, what are your thoughts about the Final Four 2019? Well, I think it's big for Tom Izzo. You know, he's a guy who hasn't won a title in 19 years. Uh, I think it's big for his legacy. You look at the, the players or coaches who have one title, you know, how much different do we look at, at Eli Manning because he has a second championship. So I think it's big for Tom Izzo and the Michigan State Spartans uh, for Tom to bring home uh, another national championship. Uh, for these other teams, you know, I mean, a, a bunch of uh, – Maybe not surprise teams, but I think a lot of people are shocked that Virginia made it this far after the debacle with UMBC last year. Uh, Auburn and Bruce Pearl after the uh, challenges they had off the court uh, with Chuck Person and, and him getting indicted. Then you look at Texas Tech, 
and, uh, you know, a, a guy and their basketball coach who just signed an extension, unfortunately for him, but I think he's going to become a, a very uh, wanted coach all of a sudden. So uh, a bunch of interesting storylines this weekend. Well, we're going to break down the games here in just a moment. Matthew Embry, thoughts on the Final Four, uh, Michigan uh, State. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, you and I had the dialogue. You said Michigan State not going to happen. I told you it's going to happen. Michigan, you said not going to happen. I said it's going to happen. Uh, Auburn, you said not going to happen. I said it's going to happen. Texas Tech, you said not going to happen. I said it's going to happen. I'm pretty much God at this moment, so please tell me something that I don't know, Matthew. Wow. <laughs> well, I did predict the Texas Tech game. Remember, I you're right. That you're one. right. You did the do that. Two you I didn't did do that. But uh, um, I think it's just a case where you know you got a Duke team and a Kentucky team that just got overconfident and thought they were going to mosey through it, and uh, they paid the price for it. I think you saw that. Uh, and Purdue, if someone other than you know Carson Edwards does the job, they would have won that game against Virginia. But again, could have, should have, would have. I think it comes right now down to uh, the two top teams on paper, and I'd say that's Virginia and uh, Michigan State. I'd say one of those two teams, if you go by who is left now, one of those two teams now should, and again, parentheses around should, win the national title. I mean, you got two star players with Virginia and Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, and you certainly have maybe the biggest player based on talent left in the tournament for Michigan State and Cassius Winston. So you look at that based on that, and the thing is, smart money says that one of those two teams will win. But uh, the last weekend, if things fall again, uh, who knows? Maybe it's Sovereign and Texas Tech's turn. But uh, it's been a very interesting uh, last eight days of the tournament, and it has certainly not played according to form. Well, I'll tell you what, it would be exciting, absolutely exciting to see Texas Tech and Auburn in it. And, and if you want to root for an underdog, even though maybe in theory they're not an underdog, Auburn Tigers certainly have beat the every team that they needed to beat to be there. So if, if you want to say that there's a team that could beat anybody out there right now, it's Auburn. Uh, Mo, let's talk about this game tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, Auburn, Virginia, this is going to be a great game no matter how the end result ends. Uh, in my brackets, a uh, few of my brackets, I have Virginia. I know you say that I'm a, a, a illegitimate bastard because I filled out multiple brackets <laughs> and I took advantage of the rules. But nonetheless, uh, uh, t- uh, I, I'm okay either which way. I, from the guy that always likes to root for the underdog, I'm going for Auburn. But for the guy that, that says – from the beginning, Virginia is the team to beat. No one believed it. Just because of what happened last year with Virginia, everybody was like, no, I'm never going re- to pick Virginia in the Final Four championship again. Well, those are the people that are sitting back saying, <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Auburn, Virginia today, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, life's all about, uh, you know, uh, being able to uh, take advantage of the rules. You know, I, I think that, it, it, you know, like Matthew said, that Virginia has definitely got two of the best players left in this tournament, uh, two guys who are great players. i got to hope that uh, for Kyle Guy and the NCAA's uh, decision that he can't post his uh, uh, his registry for his wedding because that's against NCAA rules. So hopefully that's not weighing on his mind yeah. because what an asinine rule that is. Uh, but, you know, I, I like I like Auburn. Like you said, they beat everybody that's been put in front of them. Uh, Bruce Pearl's a fiery guy. Uh, he's a guy who's trying to revive his career. And, you know, if he can keep his nose clean and he wins a national championship, this is how we'll remember Bruce Pearl, not for what happened at, at Tennessee. So 
Uh, I like Auburn, but I just I, I after watching Virginia and the way they shot the ball uh, last week, especially uh, you know against Purdue, I like Virginia in this game. But this one to me is a, a, a complete toss up, just because Auburn has beat everybody, like you said. I like Auburn. I like Bruce Pearl. I remember beating him way back when, way back when, when he was a coach of a little team called the Eagles in southern Indiana, and I had an opportunity to talk with him. Uh, that was back in the good old days. But, uh, yeah, I, I do too. And and, he, and here's the, the, the thing about it is Auburn never thought they could ever win any of these games. They never thought they could beat Kentucky. They never thought that they could beat the teams that they that they beat. And, I mean, it came down to the wire. It was exciting. I mean, I, I, I preached last week. I said, hey, why can't why, – why, where's my madness? Well, my madness necessarily wasn't within the Cinderella team. Maybe I was looking in the wrong spot because I think some of the best games that we saw in the entire tournament happened last weekend, Matthew. What are your thoughts, Auburn and Virginia today? Well, Auburn certainly is the team that's all right now. I think that they certainly were viewed as one of the pretty favorites uh, before the season even started. Then they had a little bit of a weak start, and then that got overshadowed by some of the other power teams in the SEC. But uh, they certainly have come up long uh, very nicely here, right when the time you need to. And uh, if they can keep it rolling, and they certainly could beat Virginia, as we, as I said uh Looking back to last Saturday, uh, Virginia certainly was dead to rest. It's Purdue. Purdue just couldn't seal a deal. Uh, if Auburn gets in that situation, I think Auburn certainly has the firepower to be the whole one. Well, and I think you're right. I think either one of these teams that win, I don't think we're going to sit back and say, huh, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, so we're, we're definitely going to see one of them in the championship game, obviously. And I don't think we're going to be upset about either one of them. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that's why we have March Madness. Mo, let's, let's talk a little bit about Tom Izzo, as you mentioned, 20 years ago, uh, almost a full generation since he uh, won his first uh, and only championship. And now he has an opportunity uh, to at least uh, play for another championship because we know he doesn't have another 20 years left. And, and uh, one might say that Dane Fife is the uh, uh, heir apparent there at Michigan State, which I hope he is, because certainly, uh, as you know, I covered him with we covered him with IU, and then we uh, played for IU, and then his little coaching career, and then also at at, at uh, up in Fort Wayne as well. So I think if anybody deserves a shot, it is Dane Fife, but he's he's second in line there. But Tom Izzo uh, in Texas Tech, what a remarkable story that is. And, again, toot my own horn, earlier on, I said, when we first got the selections, I said the team to watch is Texas Tech. Let's break down this Michigan later on, the second game tonight in the Final Four. Let's break down that, and then we've got a, certainly in the national championship game on Monday. But Texas Tech and Michigan State Spartans, what are your thoughts, sir? Well, you know, uh, it's uh, Michigan State, it's funny because Tom Izzo continues to uh, – just do it like he does it in, uh, when it comes to Final Four time and in March. And he's done it lately, you know, with not a lot of big five-star recruits. He's a guy uh, who continues to just get players who play hard for him. You know, you look at the Draymond Greens of the world, and it feels like Tom Izzo's got a, a, a team full of those guys who are just willing to do anything to win basketball games. And as Matthew said, Cassius Winston is, is a guy who's probably the most talented guy left. Uh, he's, he's a fun guy to watch. He'll, he'll make the big shots when they're needed. Uh, so it's, uh, it'll be fun to watch Michigan State do it. Texas Tech, they're just a team to me that just goes out there and plays hard on both ends of the court and just gets it done. You know, you got a young team with a, uh, a coach who is, uh, 
you know, relatively inexperienced as a head coach of a big school. Uh, but, you know, I, I like watching uh, Chris Beard and this team play. They're a fun team to watch. Uh, this one is going to be a, a fun game, too, because, I mean, I feel like Michigan State should win the basketball game, but I can't count Texas Tech out of anything. So, to me, you know, where we, we want the madness, we a lot of times want to see the top teams play, these are two games that just for me are hard to pick who's going to win either game. So I think that's the fun of March Madness and the fun of the Final Four weekend. We'll continue our, our uh, March Madness talk here in just a moment. Also, we got the women's uh, uh, basketball, obviously uh, Notre Dame as well. And, and Matthew, you're up at WSBT in Notre Dame country. But, Mo, I know you've got a hard hard stop here. Uh, you got to get on the air there at 104.9 The Eagle there in Lava, Ohio. And I know you're with BS, uh, Mo from BS Sports Show. Real quickly, shocker news. I mean, I don't think anybody saw this coming, but it just totally came out of the blue, and that is Romeo decided to go to the NBA. And then also, uh, that probably wasn't the biggest news of the week out of IU. Obviously, big transfer there. Thoughts on IU basketball? Romeo, oh, Romeo, where far aren't now? Go ahead, sir. Well, you know, I, I think it's a mistake for Romeo Langford at this point. You know, if we looked – Preseason, he was, you know, slotted to probably go fifth uh, overall in the lottery. Now a lot of teams are picking him mid-first round maybe. And if that's, if he's okay with that, that's cool. But I really think another year at college could help him develop his game more. But I, I think a lot of it, too, is that there's a lot of infighting. Uh, you know, we the rumors came out. Uh, the reason that Devontae Green was suspended was that uh, Romeo Langford slept with another with uh, Rob Fennessy's girlfriend and uh, and. Devontae Green punched Romeo Langford right in his face uh, during a practice. So there's a lot of problems going on at IU. Uh, I mean, just uh, tons and tons of problems. So I think this basketball uh, team is a mess right now. I, I don't think that they're a team that are going to have top recruits uh, coming in right now the way this, the, the way this thing stands. Uh, I don't think, you know, you look at a guy like Romeo Langford who was a top recruit and uh, his draft stock has fallen. Maybe not Archie Miller's fault, but maybe the culture there is. Uh, I think IU basketball moving forward right now is a mess, and uh, I, just, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. I agree with you, and I think Archie's seat's heating up and getting pretty hot, so we'll see what happens. Mo, we appreciate you joining us. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about a fantastic championship game next weekend. You have yourself a good weekend, sir. All right, guys, you too. Thanks so much. All right, buddy. Mo from the BS Sports Show uh, joined us, had jumped on with us. He only had a few minutes. Typically, George is at the, at the end, toward the end of the show, but uh, uh, his uh, work schedule kind of changed things around for him uh, there at 104.9. The Eagle up in Lima, Ohio. So if you're up in that area, give him an ear. Matthew, uh, WSVT up in South Bend still hangs out with us, and we're going to talk a little bit, uh, some more March Madness. But before we do that, we got the Final Four. Uh, we got the championship game with Notre Dame women's basketball. Let's break it down. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit I don't follow women's basketball like probably I should. Uh, so I'm going to rely on, on your uh, all-knowing knowledge about women's basketball. But take us through the journey. They got the Irish to where they're at now. I was very surprised I got the win against UConn last night, to be honest with you. I thought UConn was a team that was the now team, Kalu Samuelson, et cetera. But uh, give uh, Agrika and Gubawali credit. Uh, she came up big again. Now, granted, she didn't make a buzzer beater like she did against UConn the previous year, but uh, came up with uh, 14 points in the fourth quarter, pretty much carried the Irish to the victory. 
uh, 81-76 last night. Big games also, obviously, for Brianna Turner, uh, Marina Mabry, Jessica Shepard. Uh, they did everything they needed to do, and uh, considering how bad a start they got to, they got to an 8-0 deficit right away. I thought it was going to be a long night for them, but uh, things worked out terrifically, and uh, big result uh, for uh, Notre Dame, but uh, they still have uh, a lot of work ahead because you have a Baylor team uh, that also had to fight for their victory against Oregon uh, yesterday as well. So uh, it should be a very interesting battle. Uh, could go right down the wire uh, Sunday evening. Well, I tell you what, it is good to see Notre Dame. Uh, and I mean, are we excited to see uh, something different in the women's basketball than what has been always been? Well, the thing is, though, keep in mind, uh, who knows that this keeps up. Notre Dame could become the bad guy like UConn currently is. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, no promises on anything at this point. All right, let's get back into the March Madness talk before we get into our IndyCar talk. Uh, uh, we're talking with Matthew Embry. Now, Matthew, let's run a couple scenarios here. Let's, let's run the, the chalk line, if you will, one and two, and that's Michigan and, Virginia, and Michigan State. Those two may, meet up on Monday night. What are your thoughts? I think Michigan State is the team to be in that game. I still think uh, there's still too, too many holes for Virginia to cover up. And considering they are the only one seed that's made the Final Four, I think they are as weak a one seed as you could point. So I still believe uh, the chances of them winning are not the greatest. I believe Michigan State, of those four, is the one that is capable of winning the title if everything holds to form. Let's uh, run the other scenario, Auburn versus Texas Tech. Now, that's a game that I think people would just plain enjoy watching. It's, the, it's a game that nobody would have predicted it happening. And, and probably logically st- standing here talking with you right now is not the reality of what's going to happen. But what we do know about March is sometimes the reality is not the reality. So the reality is, very well could happen because we've seen both of these teams play. We've seen both of these teams beat the teams they had to beat to get to the final four. Really at this point, like I said earlier, I don't think we're going to get shocked about anything, but let's uh, run the scenario of Auburn versus Texas tech. Well, I think right now, if it gets down to Auburn, Texas tech, I think for Auburn, even though, yeah, Jared Culver's been their lean score for Texas tech. I think the guy that they need to stop is David Moretti. He shoots 47% from outside the three point arc this season, 69 from 149. Uh, I think right now, if he gets on a roll early, uh, Auburn could have a long night in that battle. All right. Let's uh, shake and bake here. Texas tech and Virginia. Uh, again, I think uh, the defensive factors come down to it, and I think it just depends on uh, what happens and who can outshoot who in terms of the battle between Kyle Guy and uh, David Moretti. If it's Guy, I think it's going to be Virginia. But if Moretti has a big game and the defense clamps down on Virginia, I think uh, Texas Tech can win that game. All right. How about Auburn and Michigan State? Again, Michigan State thinks the strongest with four teams left. Auburn, a great story, but I just don't think they'd stand a chance against those Spartans. Matthew, I tell you what, March Madness is what it is. We've got a few more minutes here to talk about March Madness before we get into some IndyCar talk. Got a lot of talk to talk about IndyCar. And as we were talking about off mic before the show, uh, we're making plans for the Indianapolis 500 and the Grand Prix. But I, we'll get into that here in, in just a moment. But let's talk about this year's March Madness. 
what you saw kind of really take us through the journey that got us to the Final Four, and the next time we talk, we'll know who the champion is going to be in the 2019 NCAA Men's Basketball. Well, I think the big story's got to be that Duke uh, bounced out in the Elite Eight, because I think everyone was thinking with Zion Williamson, RJ, and Cam Barrett, that they were the team to be, and they were going to run through this tournament. The fact that they did not get there, Duke Kentucky, I think that's the big surprise in my book. And in North Carolina, I think, had a good case, and so did Gonzaga, but I think you look at the teams that were out there, and I think the writing was on the wall. Uh, it looked like a chalk year, and, uh, boy, it certainly did not play out that way. And uh, I tell you what, uh, big surprise is uh, that those two teams are not in the Final Four. If you're looking at the big disappointments, I'd say Duke's got to be disappointed, and so is Kentucky. But, again, the other question is how many of their players are going to be returning uh, with the situation? And, of course, you talked about the situation with Romeo Langford, the Duke Kentucky players that decided to enter the draft early, that hurts Romeo Langford's stock. For instance, I just looked at NBADraft.net. He is currently, Romeo Langford, a mid to late first rounder. He would not be in the lottery, according if they go by what they're predicting. Which is, which is exactly what I've said before. I was talking to some colleagues earlier this week about that very scenario. And they're like, well, you know, you get in the lottery, pick that money. You can't start to say no to you. We don't know that he's even going to be a lottery pick. And at the same time, and, and I, don't, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe because I'm such an IU guy. You talk about Carson Edwards and the tournament he have, he's projected to be a mid to late second rounder, if not being drafted at all. Yeah, exactly. So what, what my thoughts are is why the rush? Why the hurry? Here's the thing. Here's what happens. You have these young kids from when they when, from when they're just youngins, and they and they are they are told they are the greatest thing since uh, uh, peanut butter and jelly, and that they are the next Michael Jordan, and they are the next LeBron James, and they grow to believe that. They get brainwashed. They get they they actually literally believe they are that good. And if they get into the college level, we saw Romeo. Maybe Romeo was exactly who we thought he was. Maybe we all. We, maybe it was us that had too many, too many high of expectations and had the bar set way too high for Romeo. Maybe it was us. But at the same time, maybe it was us that had been telling us, meaning just the world, telling Romeo how great he was. And really, maybe he was nothing more than just an average basketball player. I don't think he's ready for the NBA. But at the same time, as an IU fan, do I really want him back next year? So I'm kind of caught in the middle. You mentioned Zion Williamson. I mean, that guy's the real deal. He's the beast. Romeo's not going to go ahead of him. So, yeah, you're right. His stock is going down. He should have said no. I'm going to hang out at IU for another year, and then we could have just uh, bitched and moaned about him not performing at IU. But nonetheless, maybe we still want him around. It's like, you know, we want him around. And then and then we saw uh, Forrester with his transfer and Archie. So what are your thoughts? Is Archie going to uh, ride the storm probably another year? But what has to happen next year for Archie to, to stay at the helm at IU? have massive improvement. They got to qualify the NCAA tournament. I think anything less than NCAA qualification, I believe Archie Miller will be given the pink slip. 
well, maybe he, maybe he deserves it. But there, there again, what we look at is who do we get that's better? Who can you get that's – when you look at firing a coach and hiring a new coach, you always want to – if you fire a coach, you want to hire a coach that was better. Who do they find that's better? I, I'm, I'm not sure that I know the answer, the answer to that. Uh, real quickly, uh, NFL talk. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers has kind of turned into a hermit, if you will. And uh, he's not even spoken to the next coach. And there's a lot of talk about that. I don't know if you saw that uh, Bleacher Report uh, uh, article that, that came out this week on Aaron Rodgers. But are you, what are your thoughts? Well, it looks ugly for not only Aaron Rodgers, but also looks bad for Mike McCarthy. I mean, missing a team meeting for a massage. I mean, seriously. I mean, ultimately, I mean, there's extreme but It's only acceptable there. for Robert McCarthy. Kraft. <laughs> Go ahead. Not acceptable there either, but that's just my fact either. I mean, you, the team comes first, and that's the thing you got to be willing to make a commitment to. And uh, I don't know if that's the reason why. I mean, the Patriots, of course, being there doesn't help, but uh, uh, add to that, uh, there's been a revolving door of wide receivers for the Packers, and that makes it tough to develop chemistry in the passing game, and that hurts Aaron as well. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, very simply put, uh, there's a lot of dysfunction there. McCarthy had to go. Uh, and, the fact, in LaFleur right now, I think, needs to gain the confidence and the trust of Rodgers. Otherwise, he could be uh, headed out early as well in Green Bay because they have a history of firing coaches after just one year. Real quickly, Auburn in the Final Four. We're used to Auburn in football. We're very familiar about talking about Auburn in, in college football. They share the, the spotlight, if you will, with Alabama. Uh, Alabama fans, not too happy with Auburn at all. But if you're in the state of Alabama, you gotta root. You gotta you gotta get behind your Tigers, wouldn't you say? The SEC things handled things differently than we do up here in the Hoosier State where we eat back the conference, so like that. It's every man for himself in the SEC, so I have a hard time believing an Alabama fan would back an Auburn would back Auburn at this point. I saw I saw a meme this week um on Facebook or Twitter, I can't remember which one. And uh uh the the kid has an Auburn uh shirt and hat on and the dad has a uh, Alabama shirt and hat on and the kids coming in the door and the dad is saying get out <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how it is down there that's that's for sure Matthew Embry WSBT joins us Matthew is also our official IndyCar contributor and we're going to get into some IndyCar talk obviously we got Barber coming up uh, this weekend, and, and then we just we're just right around the corner before the month of May. We got the, the we got the uh, we got the Grand Prix, all of that coming up, and we're going to be talking about uh, IndyCar in the month of May. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network nine one seven eight nine eight five one six star digits. We'll be right back.
Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to the balance half hour in the books, talking March Madness. Thank you. Joining us now is the Matthew Embry, are also our official IndyCar contributor from WSBT up in South Bend. Matthew, we have some big breaking news regarding manufacturers in IndyCar. So let's start out with that before we get into some talk about Barber and again uh, build up our conversation. We're getting closer and closer to the Indianapolis 103rd running of the Indianapolis. A 500 here in Indianapolis, but some big news uh, breaking uh, in the in the world of manufacturer. Tell us what we know. 
Well, the rumor, according to Marshall Pruitt, is uh, obviously 2021, a new engine package comes into play. Uh, IndyCar has made it clear that uh, they want at least one new manufacturer to take the burden off of, Indi- of Chevrolet and Honda to, you know, provide engine leases and stuff like that so they could have more full-time entries potentially on the grid without increasing the burden on the manufacturers. Now, though, we are hearing there is a rumor that we may not have one new manufacturer. We may now have a second new manufacturer online by the start of that 2021 season. So how do, competition-wise, uh, I mean, those, there's only so many teams, and there are only so many what we would call openings for a manufacturer to sign a contract or a deal with a team. Where is this next uh, manufacturer opportunity? Where do they go? Where do they get their business? Where do they get their contract? Because we got to realize that there that, that a lot of teams are already locked up in contracts with their current manufacturer. Well, the smaller teams that right now are lower on the totem pole with Chevrolet and Honda, I think, will be the ones that try to make the move. Uh, obviously, one manufacturer that's been mentioned uh, has been BMW, uh, which has no ties recently other than Formula BMW to anything in North America. And then the other possibility has been Alfa Romeo, of course, with the Fiat Chrysler ties. That would make sense considering Chrysler, a semi-American company. And there also has been rumors that Toyota with NASCAR possibly continuing its downward slide at Toyota also may be that mystery fourth manufacturer as well. They could be in play if things continue to plummet in NASCAR and they are looking for, you know, an out clause. That might be the out clause of making a move to IndyCar or threatening a move to IndyCar at least. Well, it all starts with a conversation and, and, and we'll see, we'll see what happens, but uh, IndyCar is at Barber. Let's talk a little bit about, about that track. Cause that's a fun track to watch. That's a fun track to go to uh, talk with us a little bit about Barber, the track, uh, and what's in store for uh, the NTT Data IndyCar Series this weekend? Well, obviously, the track is probably the most technically uh, wound track. I think there's really two realistic places you can overtake. That's obviously before the pit entrance and then uh, at Charlotte's Web Hairpin. But, uh, yeah, you certainly uh, – there's a lot of medium-fast spit turns that you got to deal with uh, throughout the, that circuit. And uh, certainly you have to bring your A game uh, to make the full race distance and keep up that pace. So, uh, yeah, certainly I think qualifying is going to make a big deal of difference here. And uh, certainly if there's an early caution flag or the caution flags jumble up the field like it did at Circuit of the Americas uh, strategy, I think it's going to be very key uh, to who is successful and finds the winner's circle at the end of Sunday's event. The Honda Grand Prix tomorrow there at Barber down in Alabama. That is a great track to go to. Now, will I say it's as good as the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? No. But if you like road courses and if you like uh, uh, courses that are challenging, if you like to, to see drivers push it to the limit, Barber is the track to watch, and we're going to be excited to do that. Our man, James Hinchcliffe, mayor of Hinchtown, uh, is uh, basically setting the pace uh, for the track this this week, uh, and uh, certainly uh, the Firestone Reds kind of kind of helped along on that. Let's talk a little bit about what we've seen in practice at Barber this week. 
Actually, the Firestone Reds, those don't get introduced until the session before qualifying. So we haven't gotten to that point just yet. But, uh, yeah, it's a good bounce back for Hinch. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, with all the concerns about failing to qualify after what happened last year, obviously if he gets into a positive frame, I think that would certainly help his chances uh, coming up to head to May. But I think right now, if you're looking at the bigger picture for the Indy 500, I'd say the two drivers to keep an eye on today and tomorrow are Ben Hanley and Jack Harvey. Uh, Jack Harvey right now is among my last four in. In fact, I believe he's right now 31st on my current uh, big board as far as Indy 500 projections and qualifying. So Meyer Shank, I'd say, needs to show some life here and also at uh, Long Beach and IndyCar Grand Prix to give me the confidence to put them solidly in the field in a more safer position. And uh, you also look at uh, Ben Hanley with this Dragon Speed team. Uh, did well, got lucky to make the second session qualifying uh, for St. Pete. But uh, I think you look at the big picture right now, they need a result and they need to show they could be competitive because they're still off the pace like they were at St. Pete and race trim. Uh, I think they're going to have a very hard time trying to make the Indy 500 as well. And of course, uh, if teams start falling, well, maybe it leads to some surprises. Uh, we also heard talk with the uh, Harding racing. It may, if they do run a second car, it may not be Carlos Munoz. It may be Jay Howard. Well, Jay Howard is not the level of driver Carlos Munoz. So, who knows? Maybe that opens up a spot for, say, you know, a J.R. Hildebrandt's close to the line, a Ben Hanley, maybe even a Pippa Mann that finds a way maybe to sneak in the field if, indeed, that bubble gets a little weaker. We're going to – we're certainly getting excited about moving forward to to Indy. We, we got, uh, uh, I believe, Detroit before they come here. Uh, but then we got uh, the Long Beach here. And then we have I'm sorry, Long Beach, Beach. You're right. You're right. You're right, Long Beach. And it was a street course. I, I, I get them all confused. They, they run together in my head. I'm getting, I'm getting to be an old man. But, yeah, you're right, Long Beach. It, it, let's go ahead and take a moment and talk about Long Beach. That, in a, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, uh, shares the spotlight of the Indianapolis 500 as far as celebrity turnouts, as far as, as uh, big races, as far as the national audience. And let's face it, it's right there in, in the thick of uh, Tinseltown, if you will. Long Beach, on the streets of Long Beach. Uh, let's talk about that race because it is a fun race to watch. But it's also, if you want to if you want to be the uh, paparazzi for the day, uh, Long Beach is the place to hang out. Well, the sad thing, as I keep saying with Long Beach, is the issue right now with that event is off the track and whether this stadium deal that, the LA Angels of Anaheim are trying to get through, is that going to ultimately lead to the downfall of one of the classic events in American open wheel racing? That's the thing, unfortunately, I think that's hanging, the dark clouds hanging over the event until there is some compromise or guarantee that Long Beach, the Grand Prix is going to be saved. Uh, You know, it's going to be sad if this race does go by the wayside, because like I keep saying, Regardless of who is running there, whether it's Formula One, whether you're talking about IndyCar, CART, um, et cetera, this would be a black eye for the sport if this event were lost to schedule due to political reasons and, finan- and you know, economic reasons, uh, and there's no way to salvage an event like this. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, Matthew calls us from uh, WSPT up in South Bend. 
let's just kind of go through statistically speaking. Uh, of course, this is a subject. This is a, a snapshot in time, so certainly subject could change. But let's kind of just kind of go through statistically speaking the leaders that we're looking at right now. We're talking a little bit about James Hinchcliffe, but let's talk about Colton Herta. You and I have talked about him before, young rookie driver. And is really starting to make his name, and, and that win in Austin. Let's not chalk it up as just a win. It was a good win for him. Well, certainly it has legitimized the fact that he is a potential threat, maybe not for the championship, but to win races and run up front. Now, obviously, championship etiquette and stuff like that's got to be learned, and you don't necessarily do that in your first year. Now, granted, we've seen drivers way more experienced, say like a Nigel Mansell, who is a one he won uh hey, sports car racing before. Yep, I'm here. And okay, uh, go ahead. so ultimately you look at the scenarios and the big thing in my mind right now is, you know, gaining experience because he still has never had to deal with, you know, two hundred and thirty miles an hour at Indianapolis. That is a whole different ball game. And until you've experienced, Tom, as we've seen, we've seen rookies that have looked rock solid. I mean, for instance, last year, Robert Wickens, he was lights out at the start of the season on road courses. He goes to Indy, he only qualifies 18th, and he's a complete non-factor on race day. So you look at that scenario and put everything together on it, and I think ultimately the question in my mind is – are we gonna are we over you know hyping because of the win? Because like I said, I had him at thirty on my big board when the season started for Indy. Now I'm at nineteen. Is that a little too high at this point? I think that's the question I have to ask. I think everyone needs to ask is how does this translate to events like Indy, Texas, and some of the ovals where he doesn't have the experience? So we're just kind of talking about drivers statistically that are doing well based on what we saw yesterday in practice. Uh, so this is, says, again, a snapshot in time. So we're not necessarily going through orders of drivers as far as standings go or championship points go. But let's talk a little bit about Santonio Ferrucci. Uh, certainly in the top five in practice uh, there at, at Barber uh, and certainly somebody we almost never talk about. The thing with Ferrucci, though, I think it's a mental question right now. Uh, obviously, the thing—he's a very outspoken person. He got his mouth got him in trouble, and all, almost ultimately cost him his ride in GP2. Um, the question is, if things continue to, you know, go, you know, not so great here in IndyCar, does he run his mouth again and get himself in trouble with Dale Coyne in uh, that team? I think that's the big question in my mind. Uh, you look at Santino Ferrucci, is it's a mental game question. Can he keep, you know, his head on straight and where the, you know, helmet does, doesn't go over his eyes and messes up his thinking? I think that's the, more the question right now because driver talent, he's got it. I mean, he's right at the level of, say, when Alexander Rossi was an F1 prospect. The question with Santino Ferrucci is the mental game, and can he keep his head straight if things start going sour? That's the big question I have if you're asking about Satino Ferrucci and what he could provide to Dale Coyne or he could provide as a detriment to Dale Coyne uh, as long as this uh, partnership continues. 
Yeah, I, I get it, and but but let, let's be real. He's not the only driver that uh, spouts off at the mouth uh, rather quickly. And yeah, hopefully experience and maturity will teach him uh, the other direction. But we'll see how that plans out. You mentioned Alexander Rossi. Uh, he uh, also again in, in his number twenty-seven uh, uh, Napa car. Uh, Alexander Rossi, what are your thoughts? If Honda has gained in the power game as far as against Chevrolet, I think Rossi has a chance to challenge not only Scott Dixon, but Will Power for the championship. Uh, Obviously, a little more consistency is needed. He had a little lull period, I think, that cost him a shot to get it last year. But uh, if he could put all the pieces together, I think the information and the writings on the wall, he certainly could get the job done and take home that Astor Cup at the end of this season. Still in the top ten uh, conversation as far as practice there in Barber, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. We always like him. I like him. He's a, he's a good he's a good guy. He's a good dude, uh, and uh, he comes from from a a, a, uh, a just a good breed of racing. And Ryan Hunter Ray is a a good guy to talk to. Talked to him many times there at the track. He's very down to earth, very personal, very humble. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts about Ryan Hunter Ray going into 2019 season? I'm starting to wonder right now, are we going to be putting him under the same tag as Tony Kanaan, a driver that's competitive at Indianapolis, but not anywhere else because, uh, he's starting to show he's had, he's capable of some good runs, but not the kind of runs and the consistency of runs that produce an IndyCar champion. Like when he won the title, uh, in 2013, uh, I think right now at this point, uh, the consistency is starting to wane just a little bit. Now, granted, I don't think it's going to cost him his ride with Andretti anytime soon, but uh, I would also say it's not the kind of thing you're looking for if you are looking to make a serious run for an IndyCar championship because you have the bullet consistency of guys like Alexander Rossi, Power, and Dixon, who I just mentioned. Uh, that have it right now. And I think there is questions and I think fair questions as to whether or not Ryan Hunter Ray possesses those abilities or not at this point in his career. Let's talk a little bit about Spencer Piggott. Spencer Piggott has doing well in practice there in Barber. And I think a lot of people, if he was just to sit back and just say one, two, three, four, five, these are the drivers that can win the Grand Prix. Spencer Piggott is one of those drivers that you would pick to say, can at least win the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Uh, maybe the 500 if ECR has the team the capable of what they had last year. Now, granted, as you've seen on my big boards, I'm questioning whether or not ECR is going to be at the same level without, you know, the tech head, uh, Alan McDonald, not running the operation now uh, as opposed to last year. But uh, I think uh, you look at Spencer Piggott, and again, the problem with him has been consistency. I mean, he has had days where he has looked like the king of the world, and he has had days where he has completely fizzed. I mean, the results, he just has too many double-digit results beyond 10th that just are the kind of results you cannot have if you want to be a consistent front runner. And if you're not a consistent front runner, uh, winning races is kind of difficult. So, so just to, to clarify here, you, you had said that he, maybe he can win the 500 I was mentioning the Grand Prix. I think Spencer Piggott, this is my opinion, is a much better road course driver than an oval driver. Yes, but 
the problem is, though, you look at road course drivers, and I think majority of the field right now are strong at road courses, and that hurts his chances on road courses as well. The reason why he's got an oval chance, I think, is because ECR is potent at Indy as opposed to other tracks, and he has the Chevrolet engine, which, as we saw last year, that provided an advantage. Okay, I got you. That, that clears it up, clears the mud now. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Patricia Award. Again, one of those drivers we just are still waiting to see if what Better in. known as Pato. Pato! That's a good point. Better known as yeah, Pato. What do we know about Pato? Don't call him Patricio. Yeah, don't call him <laughs> Patricio. I've heard that uh, from insiders, and I won't mention their names. He hates it when people call him that, so Pato's the name to call him. Uh We'll go Certainly with that, he's then. on the level of Colton. Yeah, I think if the Harding deal had not gone through or had not fallen through, I think he'd be at the same level as Colton Herter right now as a potential breakthrough candidate. I mean, he has shown the pace. He did in the previous race at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, just a little more seasoning. And I think you talk about other X factors, looking ahead to the IndyCar Grand Prix and the Indy 500, a Pato Award. Uh, certainly is one that can get up there. And I tell you what, we're looking at, I'd say, a really interesting uh, rookie of the year battle for the Indy 500 between Colton Herta and Pato Award uh, in one month from now, certainly. Marco Andretti! We love to talk about Marco, don't we? We'd love to talk about what he has is capable of, but then it does not always equate to uh, what it really is is uh marco just is he's got the name he's got the pedigree he's got the experience he's got the training he's got the know-how he's got the knowledge but he has yet to prove to me that he's a real andretti maybe he's adopted (laughs) go ahead well, the family pressure, I mean, we've seen it with, you know, the kin, the next of kin with IndyCar drivers. I mean, Marco's had his problems. A.J. Foyt the Four certainly had his problems, and I made sure. that crystal clear in, how you, in an article I did a couple years ago and how you do not keep it in the family. And then you have Graham Rahal, who, yes, they did well in terms of getting there, and then ultimately before, he had some success before he joined the family operation. And he's had success beyond that. But uh, I think we get a little bit too excited about these next-to-kin drivers and the famous names saying, oh, he's going to be the next legend. He's always going to win 20 championships. He's going to win 10 Indy 500, stuff like that. And I think we get a little bit, you know, over-exuberant about these expectations. I remember uh, 2003, they said A.J. Foyt the fourth is going to be the next legend of IndyCar, and he never got there. And I think you could say the same thing about Marco Andretti. That's because he, he didn't get there out of strip bars. That's because he couldn't stay Remember, out those of Those are your bars. words, not mine. Those are your <laughs> words, not mine. Hey, you know, it's okay. It is what it is. Um, if you had not gotten pulled over and got a DUI, maybe things uh, would have been different. Let's talk about our favorite New Zealander, Mr. Scott Dixon. Love this guy. This guy is, I mean, he's got a. A, a great career. He's so personable. I mean, I think there's a handful of people that I know that I can just literally go up and talk to without without getting pushback. Scott Dixon is one of those guys. Him and Emma live here in Carmel or live in Indianapolis up in Carmel. They have a little horse farm up there. They have a life, and they they live here in Indianapolis. They're part of the community, but Scott Dixon is a great driver on top of it. 
and fun to watch and fun to, to follow. Scott Dixon, 2019, what are your thoughts? Still has the consistency, still has the drive. I think we've seen that. Uh, the question is, though, is the Honda engine the ticket to getting him all the way there? Uh, obviously, Chevrolet's made some gains, and with that, Team Penske has four to deal with. Uh, the question now in my mind, though, is uh, does he stay ahead of his talented rookie teammate now in Felix Rosenquist? Uh, I think he, I'm sure, has been surprised at how competitive Rosenquist has been in the first two rounds, and he's been competitive in practice again this week or was yesterday. So uh, all of a sudden, uh, it's not so clear whether or not Scott Dixon is really the title threat for Ganassi now. If it continues going in the way that's going, you could certainly make a case that Felix Rosenquist is the better chance for a title uh, for 2019 as opposed to uh, Scott Dixon. And again, another talented member of a very talented rookie class. Going from our favorite New Zealander to our favorite Aussie, that's Will Power. What a great win it was for him at the Indianapolis 500. He basically said, I could retire now and, and, and be completely satisfied with my racing career. But Will Power, I tell you what, he, he, he cut his teeth. He earned how many disappointments did he see before he finally, finally, got a a win at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at 500. I was there. It was a miraculous win. And to see him in victory lane really, really exemplifies what it means to go to victory lane. He's the defending champion of the Indianapolis 500. Does it get back to back? It doesn't happen very often. But I tell you what, we'd like to watch some willpower. Certainly uh, had the car to beat at Austin. Unfortunately, the full course caution uh, messed things up for him. Should be right up there uh, this weekend, certainly at Long Beach, and then uh, we'll see about Indy. Obviously, uh, when you have a guy in your corner that's won this race 17 times as an entrant, uh, that uh, makes things a little easier, doesn't it? It certainly does. Mr. Zach Veach, what do you say, sir? Still has a lot to prove. Like I said on uh, information I put down, uh, he certainly is going to be sweating it out, I think, to make the Indy 500. Uh, I don't know if the ride was too big for him at Adrenity Allsport, what the case was, but uh, not only the pressure there, but also, you know, having your sponsor as the towel sponsor of the Indy 500. I think there's going to be a lot of high expectations, and uh, I'm not convinced uh, Beach is going to be able to deliver on them. And like I said, it, it may be a struggle for him just to make the field for the Indy 500. You know, there's there's not uh, many people I can say that are as notable or as a hero in their prospective countries than Tinoco Soto, and I mess that up every year. Uh, but certainly, you can tell that, especially for those of us that are in the media center there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He has a full entourage. You would think he was the president of the United States with the press that follows him. And he is a fun driver as well. But he just, he seems to get there, but not quite there. But he's won in Indianapolis 500, and that gives him, I'm, I'm, I think he's probably the most popular person in Japan. I'm pretty much convinced of that. Um, obviously, there's a few soccer players that might be that we don't know about. But beyond <laughs> that, though, uh, 
and obviously with Ichiro retiring, uh, that ducks the baseball threat uh, out of there. But uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, I think you look at the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan drivers that are available for Indy. Uh, he certainly, I'd say, is the best chance for them to win. Not not to say Graham Ray Hall can't do it either, but uh, you look at oval track and the thing about Indy is it rewards aggression. And uh, if you go from that route, uh, I think he certainly has a chance to win the race. Now, he got obviously a raw deal when uh, James Davison got in his way uh, last year. But uh, I think you look on paper as far as Ray Letterman Lanigan have a chance to win Indy, uh, similar to what they did in 2004 with Buddy Rice. Uh, Sato has to be viewed as the man that has the best chance, I think, to pull it off. Well, before we wrap up uh, our IndyCar talk and our conversation with you, let's talk about a couple other drivers. Obviously, uh, a superstar within the Penske stable, Joseph Newgarden, uh, great guy as well from Hills from Tennessee. What are your thoughts about Mr. Newgarden? Starting to regress a little bit, which is the surprising thing. I think uh, after he won the championship, it's kind of like he's flatlined a little bit, which is a little weird considering he's, you know, still only in his 20s. But, uh, you know, now that he is, you know, engaged and maybe thinking family, stuff like that, maybe there's maybe a few things uh, beyond uh, racing that are starting to become a little more important for Joseph. I mean, it hasn't hurt his performance to the point where he can't be competitive and doesn't deserve the ride Penske. But, uh I think uh, be very curious to see how uh, the mental game and the desire game goes now that he's getting into, you know, different parts of his life now besides uh, the world of racing. It's amazing the opportunities when you become national championships and you become uh, rich and you become famous, how quickly you become attached to a woman. It just amazes me. And then but how no, the I'm distractions <laughs> become because it's not just a – thing you earn it is a privilege because once you get there uh, there's a lot more demands your name's out there and things don't come as easy you know behind the scenes where you could kind of mix into the crowd a little bit you're now realized as an Indy car champion or an Indy 500 champion for life and some drivers handle it better than others uh, with that burden Graham Bray Hall Simon Patajan and Jack Harvey let's wrap it up with those three what are your thoughts Ray Hall, I think right now, uh, mid-pack for Indy, I think is the best you can get. Pagenaud continues to struggle with the new car. I don't know what it is about the new car itself, but it just seems like Simon just cannot figure out the new Delara body type. And uh, like I said, Harvey has uh, got a lot to prove. Uh, the thing that obviously that will help him is if some of these rides get weaker or go off the board for Indy, because uh, I think it's going to be a struggle for him again uh, just to make the field of 33. All right, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, also talking some college basketball Final Four from WSBT up in South Bend, Notre Dame country. Obviously, uh, the women of Notre Dame have uh, made it to the big game, uh, not so much the men of Notre Dame, but we have a Final Four weekend, sir. Uh, what are your final thoughts and parting words of wisdom, sir? And we lost him, I guess. So he's gone. He gone. My name is Tom Michael, President. I guess he just he just hung up on, so that's okay. We'll move. We will. We will move on. My name is Tom Michael, Sale President. We're gonna when we get back, we're gonna be talking with uh, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. We're gonna get some NASCAR talk. Steve's our official uh, NASCAR contributor. We got a little bit of extra NASCAR going on 
in the last half hour of the show with Tyson Lautenscheiger uh, from onpitroad.com is going to join us. He couldn't join us during the normal uh, NASCAR talk, so he's going to join us here at the end of the show. My name is Tom Marquisel, Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. 
Welcome back to the Balance One Hour in the Books. Thank you to Matthew Embry uh, from WSBT uh, in up in Notre Dame, talking some college basketball with us. Obviously, the women's Notre Dame has made it to the big game. Final Four weekend is here. And, of course, Matthew has always been our official IndyCar contributor, so talking some IndyCar, getting ready for Indy. Two more races before they're here. Uh, we've got Barber this weekend, then we've got Long Beach, and then they are at the greatest place in the world to be, and that's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I will be there and covering the Indianapolis action for Speedway Digest. Joining us now is Mr. Steve Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of uh, Speedway Digest and our official NASCAR contributor. Welcome aboard, sir. Sorry about your Seminoles. They had a great run. But have you have you checked out of the final four now? Have you have you just said I'm done now? Yeah, pretty much. I've already moved on at this point. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. I mean, it was it's been a good run for Auburn. Uh, I mean, I I know that's the other team in Virginia there. So, but I I've got them going all the way in a couple of my brackets. So. I know, I know you you don't have a dog in that fight, even though you live right there in the heart of Virginia country. So probably a lot of people are saying go Cavaliers this weekend. So we'll see we'll see what happens uh, tonight uh, with with the Auburn Tigers and Texas Tech and Michigan State and Virginia. I got it all backwards. I don't know. Let's talk a little bit about some NASCAR, something you know a lot about, Texas Motor Speedway. Give us a recap. Tell us what happened, and uh, tell us what's going on as we get ready for Bristol, baby, this weekend. Well, I think the biggest story out of Texas yet again was the uh, problems with uh, qualifying that continue to um, that come to the head of the problem. Um, something that has been an issue ever since California earlier this year. NASCAR trying to make some changes with that. And, uh, you know, we, we once again, we have uh, drivers that were blocking pit road on that. Um, and, you know, again, um, it, it calls into question the qualifying procedures that are in place right now in NASCAR and uh, what they can do to fix them. So um, I haven't heard any more about any more changes from NASCAR. They they qualified this week or yesterday at Bristol uh, using the same procedures. So, uh you know, they they didn't seem to be any any major headaches out of it yesterday, but um, typically, you know, we may not see something like this until we get back on these one and a half mile race tracks. Um, and you know, aside from that fact, uh, Denny Hamlin uh, rolled the day out there in Texas uh, to win yet again here in uh, 2019. He went winless in 2018. I think he's trying to make up for 2018 in which he. Uh, uh, did not visit victory lane at all, and uh, again, you know, as as everybody suspects, a lot of times Denny Hamlin may be on the chopping block at some point uh, with the way that Joe Gibbs Racing has rotated through drivers over the years. And uh, while I know that Hamlin would like to stay there throughout his entire career, you know, there's always up and coming drivers through the Toyota race camp, as the Toyota camps, and a lot of people thought that when Truex came over, that Hamlin would be the one that got the boot, but it was Suarez instead. So I think uh, I, uh, Hamlin continues to uh, apply for his job, and I think solidifying two wins already this year, this early in the year, 
um, shows that he's capable of winning and potentially should be in that seat for the long term. Let's uh, kind of go through the series here. We'll end up with uh, the uh, 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 Monster Energy Series uh, this weekend, but let's start with the Truck Series. Obviously not uh, again until May, May 3rd in Dover, but uh, give us uh, some headlines and uh, the lows and highs of what's going on in the Truck Series, sir. Uh, well, the only storyline in the Truck Series is, is that Kyle, Kyle Busch. Is, uh, <laughs> Kyle Busch. Uh, yeah, you know, he he won out there in Las Vegas, and he won in Martinsville, and he won in Texas, and he won everywhere else that he's been in these these events this year. Oh, he won in Atlanta. He 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 he's entered four races. He won in four races. So uh, that's been the uh, storyline for the truck series. Although you know he's not gaining any points off of this thing, so. Uh, a, a, not really a surprise, but somebody that um, uh, I, I think you know we continue to watch is Stuart Friesen leading the the points. He's he's a dirt racer from up in the Northeast Canada region, uh, coming down to the Truck Series over the last couple of seasons, and uh, he's finished second several times. Not only just to Kyle Busch, but finished second so many times that he's been on the cusp of potentially winning his first Camper, or his Gander Outdoor Truck Series event. Uh, but, you know, he leads the points right now, and he's been consistent all year long uh, as far as that. And somebody else that, you know, we, we normally talk about the Sauters and the Craftsons of the world too, and while they're, um, you know, doing their thing and Thor Sport is improving with after moving over from uh, Toyotas to, to Fords in the last season and a half or so, um, somebody else, Ross Chastain, that you know was was scheduled to ride this year for Chip Ganassi Racing in the Xfinity Series. He's competed in every single event so far across all three series this year, but he's been particularly impressive in the Truck Series for Nice Motorsports. He's only finished outside the top ten once, and um, you know he he continues to um, show that he's a driver that. Some of these teams need to be looking at um, because him running a JD Motorsports car and uh, in the Xfinity Series or a premium motorsports car in, in the Cup Series, um, he, he definitely has the talent to run better equipment. And I think we've seen that both in his uh, limited attempts with Chip Ganassi Racing in the Xfinity Series and what we're seeing with Nice Motorsports in the, in the Truck Series right now. Um, so I, I, I continue to be impressed by him, and I think that honestly some of these teams, uh, no matter who it is, need to find a way to put him in a quality ride because I think that he will impress a lot of people if he had the opportunity. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, joins us, and we're talking to NASCAR Xfinity Series, uh, obviously in action uh, this uh, this weekend, uh, this afternoon at Bristol. Uh, so talk with us a little bit about Bristol, the track, uh, and what do teams have to do uh, in the Xfinity Series today to get ready for Bristol? And we'll kind of go through the standings here in just a minute with Xfinity. But uh, uh, Xfinity at Bristol, I like Bristol. It's a fun track to, go, to watch and go to. For that matter. <laughs> well, Bristol is just like Martinsville. You you got to stay out of trouble, and you just hope that you haven't pissed anybody off. 
uh, not only <laughs> in the race, but, you know, in the previous couple of weeks, too. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a track that your day can end real quickly, real fast out there, um, because typically uh, lapping begins within the first 8 to 12 laps uh, of the green flag, and there, there's an awful lot of pushing and shoving and fenders and doors and, you know, anything that they can get by you. Uh, and especially if you have the Kyle Bush or somebody like that on you, which he on he's not ra- racing today because of the dash for cash race. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. And people are going to be moving you out of the way if you don't get out of the way. And uh, you, you just need to stay out of trouble. It's kind of like, you know, being on Daytona or Talladega and just staying out of trouble all day long. And, while it's a fairly short race this afternoon, uh, comparatively speaking, um, there's still the potential for trouble. And while Bristol has put down some of the VHT uh, traction compound to open up two lanes or two grooves of racing throughout the turns, um, I think it's going to be. I think we'll see a lot of single file racing. Um, with that only groove, maybe you may get a groove and a half out of it, which is what we've seen in the past. We've not seen two defined grooves, but we've seen a groove to a groove and a half uh, uh, or so with that traction compound into it both today and tomorrow. So we got the Fitzgerald Glider Kits 300. These sponsor names keep getting longer and longer and longer. Uh, <laughs> but as, as we look at our standing, Tyler Reddick, uh, Christopher Bell, uh, Cole Custer, Michael Annette, Austin Cedric, uh, Justin Algier, Brandon Jones, Noah uh, Garrickson, and Ryan Sieg, and John H. Namacek round out the top ten. What say you, sir? Well, you know, I don't think that uh, Tyler Reddick, who is the the champion from last year, he raced for another team last year, JR Motorsports, coming over to Richard Jones Racing this year. He's just picked up and just packed his stuff and moved to a new team and continues to do what he did in 2018. Um, He's been solid. He's pretty much stayed out of trouble, and he's just continued to tack off um, you know, top five, top ten type of runs all day or all every weekend. Um, I think it's I think Justin Allgaier is struggling just a little bit, especially in the equipment. He continues to struggle at a, a, a junior motorsports, and I think that we're seeing him struggle a little bit more this year. And the reason that I say that is is because typically Michael Annette is the driver that over at junior motorsports that has been the one to struggle the most, but he's been performing a little bit better than he has in the previous years. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, I, I think Justin Allgaier, I think he's got to make some turns and make some turnarounds within the series um, and especially his runs and uh, try and perform a little bit better. I mean, while he's kind of, he still sits in, a, in, in the opportunity for the playoffs later this year, but he continues to slip. Um, a little bit here and there, and I, I think he just needs to gain some more momentum in, into this. Um, John Newcheck, um, again for him, uh, coming over to GMS Racing. That that team, um, that team is running better than they have in the past. They still have some issues to kind of work through, where they've been pretty solid 
in the truck series. They've been competing for wins on nearly a weekly basis in the truck series, but in the Xfinity series, they've always seemed to struggle a little bit, and I don't think it's necessarily the driver. I think they're still trying to figure out the equipment in that series, and and for John Hunter Nemechek to be racing as well as he is right now, um, I think that shows that they are making improvements, but there's still improvements to be made for GMS Racing when you look at both their truck series, their truck teams and their Xfinity teams at this point. We're talking with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, joins us, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, obviously, action in Bristol this weekend. Uh, a lot of action this weekend, uh, this week, I'm sorry, uh, in Bristol. And uh, Ryan Blaney sets a record, and Chase Elliott uh, gets on the pole. Chase Elliott gets on the pole. Can, can we say Chase Elliott gets on the pole? The reason why I say that so many times is we have been watching this young guy develop and develop and blossom. And there are a lot of people who are beginning to whisper that we have a championship team here and that Chase Elliott very well could be in that conversation. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think Chase Elliott is a driver that he continues to hone his skills and he continues to get better, even though that he doesn't have as big of a veteran uh, um, status or veteran crew around him. Um, you know, Chase Elliott is a driver that came up, you know, in, in a more traditional manner than we've seen in the past, or we, we're seeing today, uh, where drivers are just pushed through the ranks as fast as possible because some sponsor sees potential into them. They don't necessarily get an opportunity to hone their skills before they move on to something bigger and faster and heavier and, um, you know, more competitive. And, you know, Chase Elliott has had the time to develop in a lot of these series before he came to, uh, you know, the Monster Energy Series. And while his first outing in the Cup Series at Martinsville a couple of years ago was him playing bumper cars, he's learned very quickly what these cars can and can't do. And he's very competitive um, in that aspect that he continues to learn. Um, as far as the championship, I think that, you know, we've, we potentially saw last year um, with Chase Elliott, could, uh, you know, what his potentials were and how he was continuing to develop those that potential in, in the series had it not been for Ryan Blaney. Um, you know, knocking him out at the Charlotte Roval that, you know, him winning the race and Chase Elliott not being able to move on. Um, I think that would have been a potential to see a run all the way to Homestead. Um, and we have to continue to look at him. You're right. Every single year, um, from this point on, um, he's the most popular driver there and in the cup series and rightfully so that, um, he has skill, he has the talent, he has the marketing ability behind him, so he's kind of, right now, the the whole package. Um, I think Ryan Blaney also is comparably speaking to him to some degree, but right now, probably, you know, Chase Elliott is the driver out there that, um, from the younger crew of drivers outside of your normal Kyle Bushes and your Kevin Harvicks, uh, I continue to impress and you don't necessarily uh, see the Kyle Bushes and the Kevin Harvicks of the world saying too many bad things about him either. 
You know, you mentioned Ryan Blaney, and I we talked about it the past few minutes. Let's, let's, let's not discount his track record. Uh, they're 14.2 seconds, I believe, in in the uh, in the in the lap uh, as far as uh, trap record goes, as far as qualifying goes there at Bristol. And let's also Blaney has been very good of late, finishing in the top three of his last four races, and will once again uh, position to, to to come into great play, placing there in Bristol. And, and you mentioned it in 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 contrast with Chase Elliott, very very. Similar type drivers, very, very similar type uh, things going on right now. But let's give credit where credit's due. Ryan Blaney sets the track record there at Bristol. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I think that's just a difference now of, you know, the different packages that we're, we're running within the uh, the Cup Series. And the these these engines now have the full horsepower and, you know, the, the different mechanics of the cars. Um for him to go out there and set a speed like that, I mean, we're you know these these are these are things that we used to hear years ago. When we used to hear, you know, let's just take going back to the conversation with Kyle Busch for a moment. Is you know Kyle Busch would go to a place and he would set these kind of just ridiculous speeds, and you know that's the the torch is now being passed. To be honest with you, and it's not mm-hmm. a I agree. Big, I agree. Big, totally agree. <laughs> It's not a dig against, you know, the Kevin Hurricks, the Kyle Bushes, the, the other drivers that are out there, but we're starting to see that torch be passed uh, to these younger and younger drivers as they continue to come into to NASCAR and they continue to impress. And, and Ryan Blaney has been impressive since he came into the series. Uh, he took a Wood Brothers racing car that had not been – uh, competitive in quite some number of years, and he was able to be competitive in that car week in and week out, and even win at Pocono um, before transitioning over to Penske. And since he's been at Penske, he's just continued to blossom. Uh, we saw him; we, we've seen him win um, just on the same type of par as as Chase Elliott. And these, he's a driver that, you know, uh, has, to, again, taken a similar path to Chase Elliott. And that's why I think it's imperative to a lot of these drivers that are coming up today is look at what Chase Elliott and look who Ryan Blaney did. Look at how long they spent in their respective series before they moved up. They weren't pressured by marketing or partners or uh, a team owner or whatever the case may be. They took the time to develop and hone their skills before they 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 moved up and ascended to where they are today, and I think that's just something that's been lost. But for Ryan Blaney, um, I think we're with the days. You know, we're we're gonna talk. We're gonna start talking about these two drivers in the future, just like we've talked about the Kyle Bushes of the past or the Dale Earnhardt's or the, the Bill Elliott's and, you know, the so-ons of the past. And I think these these are the future of the sport, and we're, we're seeing it develop right in front of us right now. Let's uh, talk a little bit about Denny Hamlin. Wins the Daytona 500, uh, wins in Texas last week, been very competitive. I mean, I think we – I, I'm a Denny Hamlin fan myself, but we've seen him just struggle with adversities, especially since that 
scary wreck that he had and where he was basically lifelined out of there, broken back, comes back. And, and I think we're seeing a return, a resurgence, a resurgence, that word, you know, the word that I can't say, but it means get better. Uh, Denny Hamlin in the FedEx car. I tell you what, it's like he's like he's in his own island by himself, and he, he it's like nobody else was around him. He doesn't, he's not focused on anything else but getting better and making Joe Gibbs racing better. And he, he is a driver that can win a championship this year. Denny Hamlin, let's talk about his success that we've seen so far in 2019 and going into Bristol this weekend. I think, again, as I pointed out earlier, a lot of this comes from the pressure that we've seen Denny Hamlin be put in the past. Um, you know, Denny Hamlin has been a driver. He's been on an up-and-down roller coaster. We've seen him get his back injured. We've seen him get out the car at Bristol and have to be replaced by Eric Jones. We've we've seen, you know, the up-and-down ride of, of the Denny Hamlin show where he could come to Martinsville and he was just forget anybody else was out there. He was the driver we were going to talk about. You know, um, we would you would we would talk about him multiple times a year. But then you know he had his injuries, and then he had some problems, and then he's just continued to go downhill. But then you're right. He he's kind of the, he, this up and down roller coaster type deal. He's now back at the top of the roller coaster again. Uh, and some of this is the pressure to perform for Joe Gibbs Racing, who has some of the highest competitive cars out there today. Uh, and, and we see that with we see that with Kyle Busch and you know, we're we're starting to see Martin Truex Junior perform better and better in their cars since coming over from Furniture Row Racing. And Toyota has, again, such a deep, deep line of drivers that are looking for rides at this point, and some of them are being cultivated by Joe Gibbs Racing themselves, and some are being cultivated by other teams, such as uh, Bill McAnally Racing in the K&N Series and the Truck Series. So, you know, Denny Hamlin is under increasing pressure to perform, and this is you know, this is a job application for him. He has to go out there and apply sometimes for his job more often than not because as as we we heard of the furniture row racing closing, we heard of Martin Truex Jr. coming to Joe Gibbs Racing. The first thing that anybody ever says at Joe Gibbs Racing uh, or or says that it, it, it's going to happen is Denny Hamlin is going to lose his ride. We heard the same thing when uh, Matt Kenseth came over. We heard the same thing when Carl Edwards came over, that Denny Hamlin was going to lose his ride. Denny Hamlin was going to be put to the side. X-Driver is coming over to take his spot. That's the first thing that everybody thinks about. And while I think he relishes in that to some degree, um, it also puts a pressure on to him to perform. And, you know, we, we heard last year that Eric Jones is um, – not Eric Jones, but uh, Eric Bell is uh, – Christopher Bell is coming up. He's ready to take a ride. He's going to be in the Cup Series one day. He's going to be there in the next couple of months. We're going to make – there's going to be an announcement. And then we heard, okay, Christopher Bell is going to stay where he's at. Uh, but he does want to be in the Cup Series one day. 
So you you have to think once again that you know as rumors start to swirl that you know Danny Hamlin will win this in 2018 that well maybe Christopher Bell is going to be the guy that kicks him out this time. Um, I think this is him performing and showing that he can continue to perform that he's getting better uh, that he's performing wants to perform better he wants to be in the playoffs he wants to go run for a championship like he did several years ago um, and it, it just is the overall broader picture of the fact that. He continues to just have to apply for his job as these rumors continue to swirl. And by winning the Daytona 500 yet again for Joe Gibbs Racing, and by winning Texas last week, he's solidifying his fat, his 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 driving abilities that he can still go out there and perform, and that he'll be there um, maybe for as long as he wants to be there. Well, yeah, and and I, I think that's just a great feel-good story with with Denny Hamlin. Let's talk a little bit about Bristol. You mentioned Bristol being a lot like Martinsville, and that that uh, uh, this is kind of a, the spot where people get in their jabs, and and like if you piss people off on the track, uh, do we have some um, uh, some beginnings of some? Um, quarrels or rivalries or existing rivalries i mean it's kind of like hockey one of the reasons you go to a hockey game is to see a fight i think we want to see a fight uh, uh when it happens uh, real quickly though uh steve can you stick around because we're getting ready to to continue our our nascar talking in the next half hour i just wanted to make sure you can stick around yeah i can stick around for a few minutes yeah, Tyson Lautenschlager is going to join us here from onpitroad.com. Uh, so, real quickly, we got to take a break, but uh, just what what are your thoughts on Bristol, Martinsville, uh, rivalries, and, you know, bump and grinds, and like I said, people like to kind of see a good fight. Do we, do we see something to brewing? Possible. Um, I, I think we've seen a little bit of, um, you know, some subdued things over the past couple of seasons, but um, – we maybe we'll see something because not only it, it's short track season. So we've already been to Martinsville. We went to Texas. We're back at Bristol. And then next week we go to Richmond. So there's another short track. So you never know what's going to happen. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. My name is Tom Marquez El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Standing by in the Balance Green Room is Tyson Lautenschlager from OnPitRoad.com. Calling us from up in Canada. And, and uh, Steve Wilson, official editor-in-chief of uh, uh, Speedway Digest and our official NASCAR contributor. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 
or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. See the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Tonight, I just want to take you away. So don't leave the train. Let's let this party All right, welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. 90 minutes in the books, in the can, but we still have 30 minutes left. Thanks to Mo from the BS Sports Show and 104, uh, the Eagle up in Lima, Ohio, talking some Final Four with us. Also, uh, Matthew Embry earlier talking some IndyCar and uh, some uh, Final Four as well, WSBT up in Notre Dame country. Congratulations to the Notre Dame women getting to the big game, the big dance, the championship game in the uh, women's uh, NCAA. We're talking some NASCAR the last half hour with Steve Wilson, our official uh uh, contributor for for NASCAR and uh, 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 also joining us now is Tyson Lautenschlager from OnPitRoad.com. We've got us a bonus round of NASCAR. Gotta love it, guys. Uh, welcome aboard, Tyson. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good, good. 
it is time to rock and roll, and, and we'll kind of throw in some IndyCar with you as well because I know you cover both IndyCar and NASCAR. Guys, but let's let's uh, start out with you, Tyson. Uh, Bristol this weekend, I, we were talking a little bit uh, in the last half hour with, with Steve there about, hey, it's just like Martinsville, a little bump and grind, and, and kind of how we left the conversation out is, you know, rivalries, uh, fights, people like to – you follow hockey, I'm sure, up from up there in Canada – one of the reasons we go to hockey games is because we like to see a fight. I think everybody likes to see a good fight. Don't really want anybody hurt, but wants to see a good fight. Do we have some uh, fights to brew in between teams uh, in NASCAR this, this year? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we definitely saw at uh, ISM Raceway um, in qualifying of all places, it got pretty heated between uh, Michael McDowell and Daniel Suarez. Uh, and now, you know, I, I was listening in before the break and, and Steve was talking about, you know, we're in the short track part of the season and Martinsville tends to heat some people up. Uh, Bristol will do the same. And then we're going to Richmond uh, in just a few days after this for our first night race of the season. So, you know, there's definitely going to be a, a chance to see some tempers. And when I think Bristol and I think those, you know, really kind of legendary moments, you know, you think of, uh, of everything that went on between Jimmy Spencer and Kurt Busch in 2002. And you think about the throwing of the helmet uh, from from uh, Tony Stewart to Matt Kenseth a, a few years back and uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Ward Burton, of all people, getting into it, Greg Biffle and Kevin Harvick. There's a lot of big moments that drivers have had uh, at Bristol. It just this small half-mile high-banked racetrack, it, it gets a, a lot of anger out of people. Steve, I know Richmond is your is your home track. That's where you're at. I'm in Indianapolis. Uh, but uh, the Hendricks team, how good are they? How good are they lined up? I mean, I just every time I, I turn on uh, either NASCAR or MRN or anything that I'm doing to follow NASCAR, the lead story is always something to do with with the Hendricks team, the Hendricks voice. How good are they, Steve? Well, I think that they're in better shape than they probably have been in the last year or so. Um, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Johnson, he, he's a driver that's in the waning days of his career. Um, last week at Texas was able to put it on the pole and able to run up there and, and, and in the top five, top ten, top three, you know, right outside the top ten all day. And that's something that we haven't seen him do through an entire stretch of a race in, in quite some time. And, I mean, he just broke a was about 93 odd races since he had been on the pole uh, of uh, of any event. So you know, I, I think for them, uh, they're they're trying to turn the corner and they're trying to compete with the Joe Gibbs Racings of the world. And you know, unfortunately, it was Joe Gibbs Racing last weekend that 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 ran this thing away and and, and won the event. Um, you know, William Byron, Chase Elliott, everybody over there. Well, Alex Bowman was, you know, right there in the top six, top seven. And, you know, we 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 haven't seen that since, uh, what, about two years ago at Daytona when all four of them started with them about the top eight or top nine. Um, so, you know, it's uh, been an interesting um, curve for them that they've kind of sunk to the lowest of lows to some degree, and now they're returning back to the highest of highs. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if necessarily Jim Johnson is one leading this charge or not. I think the William Byrons and the Chase Elliotts and uh, Alex Bowmans are more leading the charge over there now with 
um, you know, that that veteran uh, a voice behind them. Definitely, I think they're making some changes over there by, by pulling um, Jimmy Johnson's crew chief away from him and putting and putting uh, Chad Canales over with William Byron. Um, there needed to be some shakeups because they were just getting stale, to be honest. And um, maybe some of those changes that they are now working through are now starting to pay dividends. And I think that we saw maybe last week uh, at Texas maybe some bright futures again for Hendrick Motorsports. Tyson, uh, like Lutzlager, uh, I'm just, I, I still trying. I'm still trying to get that right. But Tyson, I, I tell you what, you cover NASCAR and IndyCar, and and some news broke from one of my favorite cities that I love to visit. Uh, go Cardinals, St. Louis, and that's Gateway uh, Motor Park. They are teamed up, and on the same weekend, this is really kind of a different, bizarre twist. You're going to have a different set of race stands. Let's. Let's face it, uh, NASCAR truck uh, fans are completely different than what IndyCar is. I love St. Louis. St. Louis, to me, outside of Indianapolis, is probably one of the best cities to visit, especially in the summertime. I'm a huge, huge, huge Cardinals fan, and I try to get to St. Louis as many times in the summertime as I can. It's only a four-hour drive from here, and it's a great track. I have been to that track a couple times. It's a fun track, and it's a classic track. So you've got IndyCar and you've got NASCAR trucks teaming up on the same weekend. What are your thoughts about that? What are you guys talking about on onpitroad.com when it comes to this weekend, not this weekend, but the weekend that they've got planned with, uh, in I believe, 2020 with IndyCar and NASCAR trucks? Well, this is going to be a, a really important weekend for, for Gateway and both of those series. And the reason that I say that is, uh, obviously, you know, it's it's getting close at that point to the end of the season for IndyCar and uh, for the truck series that's going to be opening their playoffs, um, which is a big or which is a really big deal for um, for Gateway to have the race in the playoffs. They they currently host a truck race in about the middle of the season in around June. Uh, and we've seen IndyCar and NASCAR actually coordinate and have these uh, double weekends before it, Texas Motor Speedway for the last several years, since at least 2011, uh, they host a truck and IndyCar race in June. And NASCAR has been in talks with IndyCar uh, about doing this with the Cup Series, having double headers with the Monster Energy Cup Series and IndyCar uh, for the last several years. And it just hasn't worked out. But it seems like we're getting closer and closer to that happening. So I think what we're seeing here with Texas and with Gateway is kind of a uh, precursor to that, kind of a test to see if it's going to work for the fans, for the series. And I think this is a really good move. The other thing that is interesting about this is Gateway has, uh, they, they recently got back into really motorsports. Uh, they had been away not hosting many races or any races for quite a while. And then they got back with IndyCar getting this date. They recently got the truck date back. And we also know they've been really hounding uh, NASCAR to get an Xfinity date back. So this would be a really important weekend if they can pull a lot of fans into the stands, get some uh, good sponsorship deals. Uh, we could potentially see Xfinity return uh, to Gateway because we know in 2021 we're going to see a, a complete, most likely we'll see a complete overhaul of the schedules with the uh, agreements between NASCAR and the, the, the tracks um, coming to an end of, of 
guaranteeing those race dates. So we could see a few new tracks added to the schedule in Xfinity and Cup and in trucks. This is going to be a really huge weekend, and I, I really can't understate that enough. It's going to be really big for uh, Gateway, IndyCar, and NASCAR. Well, absolutely, and I think one of the most important aspects of, 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 of a successful race is the support of the city uh, and the local advertisers. And to get the locals there, as many of the locals that you could get there, of course, we're always going to have people that travel to races, but to get the locals there, that's huge. It's a huge, important thing. And that's what happens here in Indianapolis is that the Indianapolis just embraces the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in, on so many different ways. And we see the same thing uh, with St. Louis and Gateway. And Gateway has made a return over the last three years. Steve, do you have any thoughts on this uh, uh, combo, NASCAR truck, IndyCar? Uh, seems like an unlikely marriage, but two completely different fan bases. But, hey, they're going to be at the same track on the same weekend in 2020. Well, yeah, I got two things on this. Is first that, yes, in Texas they've been doing this for the last couple of years, but I don't honestly think that it works well in Texas because Texas – um, you know, you, you, you're, you're talking two different groups of, of, of motorsports fans, and we'll see uh, sometimes more show up to the Indy race than we see to the trucks, or we'll see vice versa, but it's never been a co- uh, uh, kind of close in, in that regards. Um, in fact, I, I I don't think, you know, while we've seen some exciting truck racing there in the past, I think that with IndyCar, um, last year at the end, what was there about eight or nine cars running at the end because there were so many wrecks, um, and, and it just doesn't play very well at Texas. But this is something that plays to the broader picture of what fans have been asking for in NASCAR for many, many years. Uh, through the late 90s, early 2000s, we started going to all these mile-and-a-half racetracks. We got rid of these half miles. We got rid of the short tracks. We got rid of the three-quarters, the five-eighths, et cetera. And NASCAR fans, they finally turned the corner, and they said, look, we've had enough of these mile-and-a-half racetracks. We want to see NASCAR go back to these shorter tracks. We want to see where the action is. And NASCAR has finally uh, – it's not like they weren't listening, but they just didn't have a way to do it until now. And now we are seeing a resurgence of this. And I think by pairing a, a short track truck series to a short track IndyCar – you're going to get a broader group of people that want to see racing. You're not going to see just the truck series NASCAR fans come out there. You're just not going to see the IndyCar fans come out there. But you're going to see short track racing fans that come out there, fans that may go to dirt races, may go to sprint car races, may go to truck races, may go to cup races, uh, may go to other uh, forms of motorsports and watch short track racing. So I think this draws in a bigger, broader group of fans and a potential fan base. And by pairing them together, you can expose these fans that may just not come to an IndyCar race, that just may not come to a truck series race, uh, but like short track racing and want to see what it's all about, um, you may draw some of those fans in and increase your fan base. And I think this, again, comes to the broader picture of what fans have been asking for for years. NASCAR has finally made the moves to make it happen. And could it happen more in the future? Sure, I think it could happen more in the future. And I think that we're seeing um, changes here in Virginia with short track racing as it is, and NASCAR making changes here. 
And, uh, you know, for everybody at the Gateway Motorsports Park, they continue to make that track better every single year for the race fans and for uh, entertainment that they're bringing into the St. Louis region. Well, absolutely, and I'm excited to see what it is. And auto racing is unique in the aspect that they can actually pull something like this off. They can actually – it's two – one could say it's the same sport as far as racing goes, but another could say, hey, it's two completely different sports. And it, it, it'd be like having a, a an NBA game and an NFL game in the same stadium on the, you know, on the same weekend or something. It's, it's really bizarre, and we'll, I'm anxious to see how all of that comes together. Tyson, let's talk a little bit about Ryan Newman and his new relationship with Ralph Fenway. Uh, seems like he's spending a lot of time in the garage, more time in the garage, and uh, with his team in, than he has ever had, which maybe can be good or bad, according to what Ryan Newman said. But what are your thoughts about this new relationship with Roush and Ryan Newman? Well, the thing with this, uh, with, with Newman and Roush, it's kind of gotten off. I, you know, I think a lot of people online have been saying, you know, this is, you know, a rocky start. It hasn't been good. I, I would kind of disagree with that. I think this is kind of what most people would expect um, from the start to the year for Ryan Newman and Roche Fenway. You know, you look at their season, they haven't had any top tens yet, but they've been knocking on the door quite a bit. Um, you know, if you look through their stats, you got an 11th place finish at Texas, uh, a couple of 12th, 13th place finishes. They've also been, um, they've gotten a few stage points to start the year, which we don't normally see from this car. And, and when you look at this number six car impact, Last year, when Trevor Bain started the year, we know what happened there. It did not go well. It was off to a really, really slow start. Ricky Stenhouse was leading that group, which I would argue he still is now. Uh, And they ended up having to split that ride and put Matt Kenseth in it, uh, which he still wasn't really getting the results they they wanted. This is a team that is in turmoil, really. It's like this is a really struggling team. And I think Ryan Newman has run better than than he should in that car, and maybe that's uh, some experience that's allowing him to run well. Um, and I think as we kind of get closer to the midpoint of the season, the end of the season, he could have better runs. Like I, I don't think you should expect him to win races. He's never been a – he hasn't for the last probably about 15 years. He hasn't really been a very flashy driver. And, and in fact, he only has one season in his career where he won – more than one race that year uh, or two looking at it. And and one of those seasons was his 2003 year where he won eight races, but he's typically not been a very flashy driver. So I don't think we can go out there and expect him to to win a bunch of races. But I think if, if Ryan Newman, uh, a driver who I think is probably getting down to his last couple of years of his career, if he can just, you know, run well, can run decent consistently, pick up a couple top 10 finishes this will be a good year for Roush Fenway Racing, good year for him. And the really good thing about having uh, him a part of that team for Roush, uh, as you said, he's the kind of guy who, who likes to work on his cars. He comes from an engineering background. He actually went to school for engineering. Mm-hmm. And maybe having that, yep. uh, that impact, that, uh, that knowledge will help this team going forward. 
Oh, yeah, and he's an Indiana boy, so it makes him a little bit better. But <laughs> that's it. Let's there. Hey, uh, uh, Steve uh, Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest. Tyson Lawton Cycle calls us from up in Canada from onpitroad.com. Cover, covers IndyCar and NASCAR. This is kind of the bonus round, if you will, overtime, if you will, of NASCAR. Hey, uh, Steve, Eric Jones looks like he's leading uh, the pack in practice from my last check there uh, this morning. Uh He's driving a car that reminds me of something that you might see on a Grateful Dead tour. What a what a heck of a paint scheme that is. But Eric Jones, uh, what are your thoughts at Bristol this weekend? I think it plays in well for him. You know, short track racer. It goes all the way back to years ago when he um, outraced uh, Kyle Busch at the, at the Snowball and some of the things that he's done at Berlin Raceway and some of these other short tracks in his career, I think we could see a solid weekend out of him. Um, there was a reason why uh, Joe Gibbs racing a couple of years ago. I think I mentioned to the fact that, you know, Joe Gibbs racing tapped him um, to replace Denny Hamlin at Bristol because, as uh, you know, Berlin is a high bank racetrack. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of really just plays into to his wheelhouse. And we, we've seen uh, Eric Jones kind of struggle sometimes on, on, on these other various forms of, of uh, styles of racetracks. But short track racing has been something that he's been very good at in the past and something that he's been able to uh, really just battle out there. So, I, again, I think it could be a, a decent weekend for him. He really needs one, to be honest, and he really needs to get into victory lane and – Hopefully, maybe this happens this weekend, but, you know, if not, um, look for at least a solid weekend out of him. We've got just a few more minutes before we have to wrap it up and put a bow on it. Let's kind of go through the standings. We'll start with you, Tyson. we got Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick. We talked a little bit about Denny Hamlin uh, in the in the other segment with Steve, but certainly Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, top three, certainly people that deserve to be in the top three. But uh, let's uh, kind of start breaking down these standings uh, as you look at that top three. What are your thoughts? Well, Kyle Busch has definitely been the dominant driver this year. We're seven races in the season, and he has still finished in the top ten every race. And it looked like uh, Texas was going to be the race to derail that, uh, obviously hitting the wall late in the race. And he still managed uh, to finish, I believe it was tenth in that race, to stay in the top ten uh, for every race of season. I think if you're looking for an early championship pick, it's kind of obvious to pick him, but Kyle Busch is looking the best to start of the year. And Denny Hamlin really has surprised me the way he's gotten off to the uh, the start of the year. Winning the Daytona 500, not a huge shock. He runs well at Daytona, and I think he's proven himself to be one of the better restrictor plate racers in past years. But winning at Texas was a complete surprise to me. He's been in the top 10 most of every weekend, and, and I was not expecting that at all. Uh, and then you have Kevin Harvick in third there, who uh, it seems like whenever he turned TV on at Fox or panicking, oh, why hasn't he won yet? He won like three times to start the year last year, but he's still third in points, and he's still finishing top 10 almost every week. He hasn't won yet. Stuart Haas Racing uh, hasn't won yet, but I don't think it's time to hit the panic button on, on this team. He's going to get to victory lane at least two or three times this year, and I'd say that's probably even lowballing it a bit. So uh, no time, not the time to panic there. Uh, Harvick's going to win pretty soon. Steve, we're going to give you the next three. Uh, Joey Logano, Eric Armandala, Brad Koloski, all Fords. Seems to be a, a theme in the top ten. 
and Ford seems to be doing very well. But what are your thoughts on on the next three as far as the standings go in in any way? And that's Joey Logano, Joey Logano, Brad Koloski, and Eric Armala. And I mispronounced that name, and I had it backwards. So straighten me out there, Steve. <laughs> Eric Almarola. Uh, there we go. You know, as, as Eric has come over from Richard Petty Racing and now in his second year there with uh, Stuart Haas Racing, he continues to really impress from the fact of, uh, you know, we never saw these kind of good runs out of him over at Richard Petty Racing. And even last year, it was kind of hit or miss. I think it was a lot of the fact that he was just trying to uh, uh, integrate himself into a new team as as many drivers do. You don't see a whole lot of drivers go over to a team and just perform at the top levels, um, you know, or or even consistently like they may have had at a previous team. But you know, for Eric Almarola, he's a uh, he's he's definitely uh, we're 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 seeing him compete on the levels now of the Kevin Harvicks over there and kind of show the way. For for Stuart Haas Racing, as far as Brad Keselowski and uh, and Joey Logano, it's just Penske Racing in general. Um, they 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 probably um, where we saw last year was Stuart Haas Racing leading the way for Fords. This year it's Penske leading the way for Fords. Um, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that you know Stuart Haas Racing is a, again to Tyson's point or any danger um, that we should really talk too too big about the fact of you know why they aren't performing like they were last year in like one in three races they were going to victory lane. Um, you know, we're just not going to see that this year, and we may not see that at a really any team, um, aside from the fact of maybe Joko's Racing and Pesky seem to be the ones that have won every single race so far this year in some way or fashion, uh, aside from, you know, Kevin Harvick winning one of the duels at Daytona. Um, <clears throat> I just think that, you know, we've, we've got a four, a, a four contingent of cars that are spread out through not only the top three or top six, ten in general, that since they've just changed over to this Mustang, they just seem to be um, nearly unbeatable, that they seem to be the cars that right now are um, have a performance advantage. And, and that really shows that Penske Racing, that show, that's showing over at um, Stuart Haas Racing too, um, that they just have a performance advantage that maybe they're not going to victory lane every single week like we've seen in the past or like once in every three races. But we're seeing a performance advantage over what Ford has done over the last couple of years, and they're really just trying to to mimic what uh, Toyota has been doing. And uh, you know, maybe the Camry isn't performing as well as it, it once did, and we definitely are not seeing the Camaro perform at all. But I think that just shows to to why we see you know these drivers sitting where they are, and especially Penske and Eric Almarov and Kevin Harvick right above them. So we're we're about out of time here. I want to give some IndyCar time to uh, uh, Tyson, who also covers IndyCar, uh, kind of a dual role. Uh, IndyCar in Barber uh, this weekend. Uh, talked a little bit with with Matthew Embry uh, earlier on about this race this weekend, but certainly one of the most challenging uh, courses, road courses that you go. It's a fun course to watch. It's down in Alabama, and uh, it's one of those courses that. Uh, that 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 test the crew chiefs to their limits and their uh, engineering race engineering backgrounds are really put to a test uh, at Barber. Uh, go ahead, Tyson. 
Yeah, the thing that that is really challenging about Barber is the the way that it is incredibly hard to pass. Uh, it's it's a, not a very wide racetrack, uh, meaning qualifying is extremely important. And when you do get those passing opportunities, you see a moment, you kind of have to jump at it right away. And that door might close really quickly. And we often see some incidents because of that. Graham Rahal uh, has been uh, one of the drivers that has made some precarious moves, uh, to say the least, at Barber. And it has gotten himself in trouble uh, with other drivers, with series uh, officials um but that's that's just one of the the things about barber motorsports park that is so difficult is you you have to judge those moves uh perfectly uh right now it it seems like the uh, honda contingent again really quick this weekend don't expect that to change too much and one driver that i'll be watching is scott dixon he's still uh, probably one of the best indycar drivers of all time never won at barber i don't think that's going to change this weekend either We'll see what happens. Okay, guys, we've got to wrap it up and put a bow on it. Uh, final word goes to you, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. What say you about Bristol? Did we lose you? Okay, uh, Tyson, do we still have you? We still have me, yes. Uh, All right. So Bristol this well, weekend, uh, I think we're looking at a pretty, uh, pretty good race. Um, you know, we're back in the short track part of the season, which I think is really exciting for fans. So could see some high emotions uh, tomorrow, but it'll be uh, fun to watch for sure. All right. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can always go to onpitroad.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Tyson Lot L-A-U-T-23, and follow On Pit Road at On Pit Road. All right, Tyson, you have yourself a good weekend. We'll talk with you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Tom. Sure, anytime. Tyson Lotzweiger on pitroad.com joins us. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest joins us. Matthew Embry, WSBT up of South Bend joins us. Uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show from 104, the Eagle, and joins us as well. It is Final Four weekend. Let's see who's going to be the champion of men's basketball. I'm going to tell you what, I, 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 you know, I'm okay with, with, uh, with whoever comes out to be the winner because my brackets aren't busted. They won't be busted. Even if, even, even if, even if, uh, the, the worst possible scenario happens, uh, my, my bracket's still in shape. So, so life, life is, life is good. Nine one seven eight eight nine five one six. Our digits. If you want to write that down, and remember us uh, for next. Remember to follow us on social media at T Balance and the Balance on Facebook. And you can just pretty much follow, find us anywhere. Download the podcast, subscribe. Whether it's TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. We thank you for joining us. My name is Tom Marcos El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. We'll see you next week right here on the Balance Radio Network.
Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.